You're listening to the Slumber Party Podcast with your host, Amanda Jusen, a mum of two girls, a child and infant sleep expert, and general sleep lover. If you're a tired parent who is desperate for answers or just someone who loves sleep, this podcast was created just for you. Each episode is packed full of tips and tricks to help you maintain your sanity as well as your social life during the early stages of parenthood. So grab your headphones, it's time to get comfy. On today's podcast, we have Ahuva Madgar Hirschkop, who's a registered dietitian and primarily focuses on kids and the mental load of meal prep and eating and all of that stuff. I know how stressful this is, uh, mostly because I have children and I listen to you. So I think you're going to find a lot of her tips super helpful. I had my own Oprah aha moment. Um, honestly, it was such a great conversation. You're going to love it. Enjoy. Okay. Hi, Huva. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited because... Um, you know, I deal a lot with toddlers and, uh, you know, some of the, it's funny. And I talked a little bit about this with, uh, Abby Sharp last season, Yeah, how connected food is to sleep for parents and what an anxiety producer it is. If you feel like your child isn't eating enough and then you just go ahead and you put them to sleep, Totally, uh, that is extremely stressful. And I love that, um, when you reached out to me, you were like, I really want to talk about the mental load of of this whole feeding thing. And I really think this is a thing. And and there's so much, there's so much that we could jump into. Um, and I think that we should because we have 20 minutes, 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, so let's do this. Tell me, awesome. tell me what you're seeing with your family. And well, first of all, tell me who you are, why we should listen to you. Totally. Um <laughs> So I'm a Huva, as you said, I'm a registered dietitian and I have a pediatric based practice in Toronto, as well as an online presence where I create online courses to support parents in reducing the stress that they feel around mealtime because so many parents are showing up to mealtime so stressed and supporting moms in reducing the mental load that they feel in feeding their families overall. Yes, for sure. And do you find, um, you know, this, I feel like the, the eating thing, I, I mean, my kids have the opposite issue where they'll eat your picky child food, whether or not you <laughs> So my son does that to my daughter. Okay. But I, I have to say, like, I know, I know that picky eating can be stressful. Like for both of my kids, we hit a spot at around two where they're like, I don't like anything. And so yeah. I, Experience the micro version of this. Um, but on the other side, it can be really embarrassing when you go to a birthday party and your children are like, I'm here for the cake. You're like, also just play for a little bit right. with the child or the children. Definitely. Um, and then they're like stuck at the snack table and you're worried what you've done. We've come, we've come far. Like I've learned to kind of take some of the, um, 
the pressure off some foods and offer it uh, in other way. But I guess in your practice, so with a, a pediatric practice, what are your most common, what are you seeing most from your clients? Definitely. So I think that, um, you know, a lot of times it is the picky eating. A lot of times I think that there's the assumption that a lot of moms have that, I mean, like so many things in motherhood and and like sleep as well, right? Like you, we just, we become moms and we're like, I should know how to do this right? I should know how to be able to to put my child to sleep. I should be able to know how to feed my family or how to feed my kids. And um, it's not really as intuitive as it seems. And there often ends up being this power struggle that so many families are having at the dinner table. And, you know, the constant thinking about it, you know, from the minute that moms are waking up in the morning to what am I going to serve for dinner? Um, how am I going to get it on the table? Whether you know you're a, you're a new mother at home with kids, or whether you're working and only coming home at five o'clock, and um, yeah. what am I going to put on the table that my kids aren't going to immediately look at and turn up their noses and you know ask for cereal afterwards? Um, <laughs> and that really does weigh so much on parents. It's really yeah. um, I think we underestimate how much stress that adds when it's that constant. You know, you can't you don't get breaks right? No, you don't, there's no, no breaks no. in feeding your kids. They, they need no. to eat every day. Um, so parents are doing this on top of every other responsibility that we already have. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to, like you just said something that jumped out to me. Um, when you are, okay, so when you're, what's your strategy? Like, I mean, you said offer cereal instead. I feel like we don't do that in our house, but should we? (laughs) So ideally not. So there's something that we, uh, you know, talk about a lot in the field of nutrition and the way that I like to describe it to people is, you know, one day beef will be bad for you. The next day it'll be good. Things change so often in nutrition. And the one thing that we have really stayed true to is what we call the division of responsibility at mealtimes. And, you know, that just describes um, what everyone's responsibility is when they show up to the dinner table and that, or whatever table. And that means that, you know, as parents, it's our job to decide what we're feeding our kids, where we're feeding them, how we're feeding them, all of those bigger decisions. And our kids get to decide if they want to eat and how, and if they want to eat how much of, of whatever it is that we're offering that they want to eat. Um, okay. And often, you know, a lot of the mealtime stress comes down to, as you're sort of saying, like the offering the cereal afterwards is we say to our kids, please just eat anything. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't care what it is, just eat something. And that's mm-hmm. when it sort of opens up to, well, then I'll eat yogurt and ice cream, but only in the blue bowl and only if I'm in my pajamas and only if I'm in front of the TV and, and all of those stipulations that come right. with um, us becoming concerned just over the anything is better than nothing. Yeah. Okay. So I like this. So, you know, when I, I did uh, a couple of years ago, I did reach out to a dietitian um, just because I've had stuff with food and yeah. um, I think we all have stuff with food. Who doesn't? I feel like if you grew up in the nineties, you're, you're not immune. No, um, no. But, um, so I really, I feel like I did this program called precision nutrition okay. a few years ago. Um, and the whole aim of it, it was kind of like to create new habits and take the pressure off of like labeling bad foods, good foods or bad foods or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I really loved it. And I really think it changed my whole brain with food. Um, so then I, when my daughter was showing some signs that she was becoming like, 
kind of crazy about certain foods. Like, you know, we were, we were saying some foods are bad and some foods are good or some foods are like treats and some are not. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want to like perpetuate this sort of diet culture or bad or good food thing. So I Definitely. reached out to, um, I reached out to a, a dietitian and we had this conversation and that was the first thing that she talked about. It's like, don't label the food, yeah. but talk about the division of responsibility. Your, yeah. your whole role is to make the food and serve it. They choose whether or not they want to eat it. Completely. I felt like it took the pressure off. So now we're kind of like, this is what's for dinner. We'd love if you try everything, try a little bit of everything. And our kids are pretty good. They'll try everything. Um, they may reject things. One of the funny things that we've done, and I, I don't know how we've made this turn, but we always tell our kids that our taste buds always change. So we're yeah. like, you know, sometimes, sometimes like lemons taste sweet. Sometimes they taste sour. You should always just try. And they're like, oh, so they're very experimental about it. So we can get them to try foods um, and whether or not they eat them is another thing. Um, And that has been incredibly liberating for me. That is incredibly liberating. And I think, you know, what you're saying is so important because as I said, so many of us have, we all have our, our shtick with food, right? And I think that when we have kids, um, a lot of the times when we're having mealtime stress, the first step is even parents just sort of acknowledging that maybe our relationships with food aren't perfect um, and that's okay. And we're always trying to do, you know, better for our kids than maybe um, we've even had for ourselves. But that is an amazing first step um, is to to take away the good and the bad and just sort of present food neutrally because that definitely helps to just reduce the stress at mealtime. So I love that. Yeah. Uh, So I have, I would love your thoughts on this because, you know, in my line of work and and maybe people listening to this podcast, um, a lot of the stress comes around, like they're going to starve. They're not going to eat. If they don't do this, they will like starve and everything will be bad. Um, So obviously I am not a proponent of, of starving children. Yeah. um, And, you know, babies or children. I wonder like, can we starve our kids if they go like our, I mean, I'm not talking about a baby. I am talking yeah. about an angry three-year-old yeah. who just <laughs> saying no to everything. Are they going to starve overnight? So, I mean, the short answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that is one of the ways in which moms, because we're so good at doing this, make ourselves feel like crap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, whenever we start, and this happens for a lot of parents, as we start to transition to that division of responsibility of, you know, I offer food when, when it's, um, you know, when it's appropriate and my kids can decide whether or not they want to eat. A lot of parents will come back to me and say, what do you mean? You want me to withhold food for my child? Mm -hmm. Is this about withholding? I'm not going to give my child food when they're asking for it. Um, And, you know, right away sort of put the negative spin on that. And I think that's a lot of what, um, you know, leads into, well, then I'm putting my child to sleep and then maybe they're not going to sleep well. And then it's going to be my fault. And I'm starting this negative cycle. Um, And it's one of the ways that we as moms often put a lot of stress on ourselves. And so often, you know, one of the first steps is just sort of reframing that in, the, the idea of division of responsibility is to raise intuitive eaters, right? Yeah. Is to raise kids who can listen to their tummies and can listen yeah. to their signals and can really learn to honor their hunger. Yeah. Right? Exactly. 
Yeah. And when a child is um, sitting down to a meal and they're not eating anything, and then 20 minutes later, they're asking for a snack or they're asking for the cereal or the yogurt, and um, we become so afraid they're not going to sleep that then we sort of cave, what we've taught them is you were hungry 20 minutes ago because if you're starving 20 minutes after dinner, it means you were hungry at dinner time. Right. Um, and you didn't honor your hunger and you should continue not doing that because yeah, it's not a big deal. Right. So it's not, it's never about withholding food for my kids and they're going to sleep and I don't even care if they're hungry. Yeah. It's really supporting kids in developing that skill to honor their hunger. And I think just that reframe for mom sometimes is so powerful because we're yeah. not withholding food. We're teaching a vital skill for our kids for the rest of their lives. I just had an Oprah aha moment. <laughs> when it's it's not about, well, I mean, this is essentially what I do with sleep all the time is like your child can have big feelings about yeah. not wanting to go to sleep. We don't say, okay, then don't sleep. You know, like we just, that's not allowed. Right, definitely. <laughs> so have those big feelings. They can say, no, I don't want to. But as the leaders of the house and the leaders of our pack, we can also say, um, I hear you. I, I'm listening. I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm holding this boundary firm for this reason. And it sounds exactly. like for me, Um, It all comes down to like, what's the most healthy option for my child? Sleep is a very, it's a health and safety issue for me. Completely. Um, It's like a very similar thing to me where it's like, I am teaching you how to honor your hunger and eat when you're hungry. And and actually part of the thing that um, I realized when I spoke to the dietitian that I worked with, Mm -hmm. um, that our kids are snacking all day, snack, 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 snack. Maybe they actually weren't feeling hunger, period. Right. Um, So then then they were like, but never quite, it's kind of like babies who snack and snooze and snack and snooze. And they like um, momentarily satiate their hunger, but then like an hour later are legitimately hungry because they don't have the nutrients or whatever. Right. So then when we eliminated the snacks or, or space them out, I should say, cause we don't eliminate snacks. We space them out. Um, our kids are like pounding their food. <laughs> <laughs> so I often recommend for, you know, a kitchen clothes policy for an hour before dinner and an hour after, like an hour before a meal and an hour after a meal for that exact reason. Because, um, you know, oftentimes parents are, are seeing their kids showing up at a mealtime. And if it's, you know, macaroni and cheese, their kids yeah. will go to town. But if it's yeah. chicken stir fry, Um, you know, they're not eating. And to a lot of parents, they're like, well, what is going on here? And I always say, you know, when I'm feeling sort of snacky, if there's something that's good, I'm going to eat it, right? If there's something I like, I'm more than happy to, to, you know, get more full. But if it's something that I don't like, I'm not hungry enough to be motivated to try that new thing because I'm not overly hungry. Oh, God. I So for... I'm, I'm, I'm triggered right now (laughs) because my, my two-year-old, two-year-old, almost four-year-old is constantly in our kitchen. Like if we are in the kitchen at any time, any time I'm recording myself, if, if you are watching this on YouTube, you see my pain, but if we're in there at any time, 
Nora is asking for what we're eating. She's hungry. She needs a snack. Like, so it just means before dinner, it's like this little fly. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And I'm like, go Most, But you know what I'm thinking? Like, Again, I'm always relating it back to my job sleep, but I, when I'm working with my toddlers, I talk about visual, um, visual uh, representation of what we're trying to communicate. Yeah. So in terms of bedtime routines, I like to do like a little uh, chart that you actually sit and work with, with your child, go through some magazines, find a bed, cut out the bed, talk about when they're allowed to be out of the bed, when they need to be in the bed, and then actually create visual representations of what their routine looks like toothbrushes, books, jammies, all those things so they can see it and understand it. And when you said kitchen clothes, I was like, I'm going to make a kitchen clothes sign. Yeah. And then and that I- works really well. I, I encourage families to do things like visual menus as well. Um, okay. cause often there becomes this sort of, you know, kids are asking what's for dinner, mommy. And then yeah. you, know, you tell them whatever's for dinner. And there's that whole meltdown of, oh, I don't want that for dinner. And why can't we have whatever it is. Um, So, you know, thinking about even doing something like a visual menu where kids can see there isn't that overwhelm of they're showing up to dinner and, you know, they really wanted something and something else comes out and the whole meltdown happens. Everyone knows, everyone's on board. It's there for everyone to see. And that's definitely something that I love for families to include as well. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Um, So when do you start to see kids start to show any sort of uh, picky behavior? I wonder if this is in line of when I start to see this in um, toddler stuff, because I can have awesome sleeping babies turn into toddlers who don't want to sleep anymore. So it's not about skill, it's very behavioral. So I wonder if it's in line with you as well. Um, So typically we see, and again, you know, every child is different, but typically... um, 18 months to four years old is where there's that, that picky eating stage. And it really, you know, comes with kids learning how to say no Mm -hmm. is is essentially, you know, what happens. Yeah. It's that development of the, uh, I'm autonomous. I am apart from you. I realize it for the first time. And it doesn't mean that we stop. Well, I mean, this is such a great example. What a great um, parallel, actually, because a lot of the times parents are so this is a theme on my podcast, I think, (laughs) with that. But uh, parents are really feel like shit for saying no to their kids. Like a million percent. And no, I'm, I'm shutting the door right now and you're going to bed and like, you know, we've all done it. It doesn't feel great, but it's also, it's a really good thing to set that boundary, right? The first time you're like, if your kid says, I don't want to eat, we're not just going to be like, okay. Like, no, I mean, I guess to some degree they, we do allow them to, I guess, if they're rejecting these things, we're not saying like they're never going to eat again or just going to continue to give them um, macaroni and cheese for the rest of their life because this is what they like, right? Exactly. We can't be fully, and I think that most parents would agree with me with that. Yeah. um, But it's really in, like, I think this goes back to your division of responsibility, right? Like I am giving you this, it's up to you how you want to deal with that. And and yeah. so when you, when 
you do this with kids, right? When you say, okay, this is what I'm giving. This is what you're eating. What's the turnaround? Like in terms of like seeing progress of kids eating more, trying new foods, like what, how, what does that look like for you? So I always tell parents to expect a couple of weeks of, um, not so fun times because, um, you know, I, and I say this to parents whenever I'm working with a picky eater is that especially at that age, um, sleep and food are two places where kids can so easily assert their authority. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we overrule our kids for lack of a better term in so many areas of life, right? Like my mm-hmm. kids, you want to run into traffic. I'm overruling that decision. You want to wear flip-flops in the winter, like hard, you know, overruled right away. Um, yeah. But at dinner time or at the table, your kids can close their mouths and mm-hmm. I'm overruled. Right. Mm-hmm. Or my kids, if they, if they really want to, will like sit in their beds and be like, I'm not going to sleep right now. <laughs> yeah. Can you just lay down? And they're like, no, no, no. Um, so definitely, you know, those are two different, um, different ways in which kids can really assert their, their authority. And I always tell parents that, that, that time really depends, right? The turnaround really depends on how, and I'm sure that you say this as well, is how consistent you can be. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you can try and make changes to your meal time, and it can take you a year of all-out battles at the dinner table, or we can make changes in a couple of weeks and have it be completely seamless. Mm -hmm. And the the challenge really is how consistent you feel like you can be and how consistent all caregivers can be across um, what we're doing. So if that means making, you know, one small change for the next couple of days, I a million percent would love for families to do that instead of saying, you know what, forget this. I'm 180ing everything that we're, that we're doing. And that's sometimes what parents feel motivated to do when, you know, they've reached that point of, um, like you were saying, like the, when we were talking before we recorded of, you know, 3am when parents are like, why is my kid not sleeping? Um, that happens at the dinner table as well. When parents are like, this is it, we're done. You know, I'm changing everything now. And that tends to, when we try to 180 everything in a day, we're yeah. going to go back to what we were doing tomorrow because that's too stressful for parents and for the kids that we're trying to to make changes to. Totally. And I I think too like the the other like it's really easy to be a consistent parent when you have small changes like that. Yeah. And I think what our kids need to see in both the, like food related things and sleep related things is that we are sticking to our guns that we are we are very predictable and again going back to that thing where we're worried about saying no if your children understand that when i do this my parent does this that's actually very reassuring for them definitely comforting and it is very normal and appropriate for your child to consistently test those boundaries mm-hmm. again and again and again and again just to make sure that you're the one in charge yeah. and that really might not actually have nothing to do with you other than reassurance that they're not the ones making the decisions right. because their children don't want to be in charge and they don't want to be making the decisions but they're going to explore what their boundaries are and I'm sure you find this as well. Like I tell my my toddler clients, especially, look, your kid is looking for the break in your game. Right. 
they are looking for like my my favorite example is when I'm talking about whether or not the door should be closed or open. If your child wants their door open, some of the things that they might say are like, OK, I want the door open all the way or, you know, you open it a crack. No, I want it open this much more. And the moment you're like, fine, I'll just open up this much more. They're like, there's my in there. Mm-hmm. There's that moment. And it seems so silly, but the more we are inconsistent or even a books is a good example. I want, you know, we say two books in the routine and then they beg and beg and beg for three. Well, then they're going to beg and beg and beg for macaroni and cheese instead of your chicken fry as well. So So we had this when with my, we use a grow clock for my kids to know when they can wake up. And I made the most epic mistake of, um, it was like, you know, 6.15, my kids came into me at 6.53 or something like that. And, you know, the grow clock goes up at seven yeah. and they were like, mommy, can we come into your bed? And I was like, okay, fine. Just because like, it's almost the sun coming up. Dun, dun. Oh my God. The <laughs> next day they were coming in at like 6am and they're like, mommy, it's almost the sun. And I was like, it is not almost the sun. And why did, oh my God. But definitely it's, it's that sort of like, well, it's almost this and it's close to this. And you almost took three bites of your chicken. So I'll, you know, and, and that constant, um, that those ends that our kids definitely look for all the time. Always. They are always looking for them. They are always looking for a way to um, push the boundary and and see what the reaction is. Well, I mean, so okay, we have about a few more minutes. What is your your top tip for parents struggling with mealtime, struggling with that mental load? If someone can, you know, put their headphones down after this episode, what's the one thing that you want them to be leaving with? So many things, but, um, you know, one is really just, um, even if you have to write it out for yourself, um, is just remembering sort of what your role is at dinner time and what your kids' roles are at dinner time, because, you know, it becomes very easy if we can write that down and look at it and, you know, start catching ourselves at mealtime, even if you're not really looking to make any changes right now, but you're feeling a little bit of stress at mealtime is just, just writing down, you know, what is my job here? And what yeah. is my child's job here to be able yeah. to go back and th- those times where you're about to say, you know, take three more bites of whatever it is before you leave the table, really going back to that list and saying, is three more bites my job? Do I need to be thinking about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And if it's not, then learning slowly to let those things go, right? If it yeah. doesn't fall within your responsibility, um, that is, you know, that it's not your responsibility really. Um, and that can start to just help to you know, reframe how we show up to the dinner table. And the other tool that I really love for parents to think about is um, reframing their ideas of what what a successful mealtime looks like. Mm -hmm. And often for parents, that's, did my child finish their plate? Did, um, you know, did they try a new vegetable? Did they, uh, whatever it is for them. And, And all of those goals that are so difficult for us to attain have parents, as we said, sort of feeling like crap at the end of the meal when we can't achieve them. Yeah. And um, a successful mealtime in how we, you know, as dietitians look at building our children up through mealtime is, um, you know, did we have any successful interactions? Did our children sit with us at mealtime? Did everyone laugh? Did everyone show up to the table? Did all of those kind of things? And so I always encourage parents to uh, create what I like to call a successful mealtime checklist. Mm-hmm. And that can be four things that are not food related. Um, that happen at the dinner table. 
And for parents who are having a lot of stress at mealtime, sometimes like you need to give each other that pat on the back, you know, like have both parents like go and sort of fill out the checklist afterwards. Okay. My child didn't finish their food, but did they even see a new food on the table? Did we all tell a story about our day? Whatever that is for you um, to be able to start seeing mealtime as a positive experience again, instead of just the stressful, oh, is my child going to eat anything tonight? Yes, a hundred percent. Oh, I love that. And and it always goes back to that Oprah aha moment for me, where are we helping our children learn how to trust their hunger cues? Yeah. And that's a skill. That is really a skill. And uh honestly, what a blessing to give your child that. Yeah. Definitely. I didn't learn about that until I was like thirty four. I know. And it's like, that's a lot of time. (laughs) So I always say like the greatest, one of the moments that gives me the greatest joy is my daughter will rub her tummy before a meal and go, my tummy's not so happy. It's not so happy. And then at the end of the meal, when she's, when she's full, what full means to her is mommy, my tummy's very happy now. Oh my God. Um, And her being able to do that. Like there's, there's nothing that brings me more pride, um, you know, than hearing that after a meal. I love that. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Ahuva, where can people find you? So I hang out in a couple of different places. One is Instagram. I'm there a lot. Um, and my handle is at Ahuva, A-H-U-V-A-R-D, which stands for Registered Dietitian. And I also run a free community on Facebook for parents who are just looking for more strategies to reduce their mealtime stress, to you know, just streamline their meal prep routine and all those fun questions. And that's called the Busy Mom's Guide to Feeding Your Family. So you can definitely find me there. Awesome. That's great. Okay. And I'm going to put those in the liner notes of the podcast and the YouTube video as well. For those of you not listening to this podcast with a pen and paper. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much, Ahuva. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Slumber Party. If you're ready to help your little one get the sleep that they need and get your nights back while you're at it, Make sure to check out Amanda's signature DIY sleep training courses or work with her directly. For more details, head over to babiesbestsleep.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe, like, and review. Happy sleeping, everyone. <laughs>